Greetings. This is Lara Hoffman's Head of Marketing at Diamond Hill, and this is Understanding Edge. Today on the podcast, we have Harsh Acharya, a research analyst at Diamond Hill covering industrials and utilities. Harsh joins me today to discuss how select industrials companies are innovating to confront some serious global ecological issues. You can find Harsh's latest contribution in our insight section at www.diamond-hill.com. Welcome, Harsh. Greetings, Laura. Thanks for uh, having me here today. Harsh, can you tell us a little bit about how you came to cover industrials and utilities and what you find compelling from an investor standpoint about these companies? Yeah, sure. So um, I started first covering electric utilities uh, back in 2006, uh, just around the time I graduated from business school. So uh, back when I was in business school, I really wanted to make a career in investments. I was super curious about the whole process. So I did participate in an equity research competition that was hosted by the New York CFA Society. Um, and having won that competition kind of opened up a few doors for me. I uh, did a couple of internships at an investment bank. And by the time I was done with the internships, they kind of offered me a position in electric utilities, um, covering electric utilities. And I was a foreign student back then. And I remember I was like equally thrilled and relieved to have got the opportunity. Um, and then about eight years later, I had transitioned to Diamond Hill and somebody who followed uh, industrial companies uh, retired at that point. And I raised my hand to pick up coverage of industrials as well. So, uh, you know, uh, there's more, more luck than anything else in picking up these two uh, uh, sectors. So uh, what I find interesting about uh, both these sectors, uh, utilities and uh, industrials, first of all, uh, they couldn't be more different from each other. Uh, and yet there are some similarities. So in terms of industrial companies, um, you know, great companies tend to take a lot of pride in solving real world problems. Um, they use science, innovation, they try to bring new uh, products or processes to the world that make things easier, more efficient, or even more environmentally friendlier. Um, they tend to create strong competitive modes and, sig and significant value uh, accretion to shareholders along the way. Um, as compared to utilities, well, utilities, um, they're regulated monopolies. So the concept of free market competition, they all take a backseat. And in my view, dividends tend to, on average, contribute a much larger portion of their expected return as compared to the rest of the uh, S&P or even industrials. Um, as such, uh, in my experience, price of utility stocks tend to deviate less from their intrinsic value. Um, and industrial companies, uh, you know, I, I mentioned how they try to improve our existence with innovation. Utilities are trying to achieve similar goals. They try to provide energy at an ever decreasing level of carbon intensity by building more renewables. In your most recent published piece, you talked about the potential for water scarcity and its impact on a large swath of global population. Can you talk a little bit more about this challenge? Yeah, sure. Um, so if, if you think about uh, you know, water, 
about 71% of the Earth's surface is covered by water. 97% um, of this water is basically salt water found in oceans. 2% is in snow and ice, and only 1% is liquid freshwater that is fit for consumption. And of that 1%, about 96% is underground, and only 4% is in the form of like surface water. So let us take like groundwater, uh, for instance. Uh, over the past 100 years or so, population has increased by about four times. Uh, groundwater withdrawals have increased by about six times which tells us that our reliance on water is not really linear. It kind of increases at a much faster pace than our population. Um, so NASA says that about 40% of global aquifers are stressed to severely stressed, which means that uh, they're not getting re recharged nearly to the same extent at, as our withdrawals are. Furthermore, it takes about 10,000 to 20,000 years for aquifers to recharge. So they aren't really a renewable resource in, in like the traditional sense. Um, and we don't have the scientific technology to accurately figure out how much water is left in the aquifers. Now let's take surface water. Um, we have probably seen some of the worst uh, wildfires in the past seven, five, seven years, especially in California. Uh, and you might have seen uh, some news uh, snippets that suggest that uh, Lake Mead is about 73% below its capacity. Now Lake Mead supplies water to California, Nevada, Arizona, and it's very important to those, those regions. Um, so there's evidence that uh, drier parts of the world are becoming drier, seasons are becoming more extreme. And uh, with all that in mind, about 50% of the world population already is facing water shortages at least one month out of the year, right? So the world is trying to solve climate change by moving away from burning fossil fuels, um, and, and to some degree, uh, we've been looking to increase our reliance on electric vehicles rather than using uh, you know, gasoline in our cars. But if you take a step back, it takes about 500,000 gallons of water to produce, say, lithium required to manufacture, say, 200,000 cell phones, okay? So automotive batteries are far more dense in terms of their battery content. And, all we are doing is trying to solve one problem of climate change, but we are just increasing, I think at least, uh, our water intensity or water use per capita. So, uh, you know, we have to understand that all human actions have some intended and many unintended consequences. Um, and, uh, you know, to, to combat some of the water shortages, for example, uh, countries in the Middle East, uh, increasingly relying on um, desalination. Uh, for example, I think 80% of Israel's uh, freshwater supplies uh, come from desalinated water. Well, we know as investors that serious challenges often can translate into opportunities. Are you finding any companies in your area of coverage that are positioned well to help meet this challenge? Yeah, so one company uh, called Energy Recovery makes pressure exchanger devices. Um, so these devices help improve um, 
energy efficiency of any operation where there is high pressure pumping of either gases or liquids. So these devices uh, basically return up to 60% of the power utilized back to the pump um, without almost like zero energy input, right? So the whole process becomes uh, much more energy efficient. So the way these uh, uh, devices fit into the desalination, uh, um, desalination solution is in reverse osmosis. So reverse osmosis is a process that we might use in our homes for drinking water systems. But when it comes to desalination, uh, you know, the water is being supplied to several millions of people. So there's a lot of high pressure pumping of seawater required and these uh, pressure exchanger devices significantly improve the energy efficiency of the entire process. So uh, energy recoveries uh, devices have several differentiated and extremely attractive attributes. Uh, so firstly, I believe it's probably the most efficient device on the market. Uh, with efficiencies of like 98%, which is close to physical limits of efficiency. Uh, they last for well over a decade. They are virtually maintenance-free. They cost less than 2% of the overall uh, project cost. So uh, with like a solid performance track record, uh, the company has been able to create a significant uh, competitive moat around its business. Um, and I think they have some pricing power as well. If you see their gross margins, they're approaching 70%. When thinking about other environmental challenges, it's natural to think about the role hydrofluorocarbons play as a greenhouse gas. Can you discuss how the market is coping with that? And also if there's a role that energy recovery can play here? Yeah, absolutely. So um, hydrofluorocarbons are used as refrigerants in let's say commercial refrigeration and even in HVAC machines that we use in our homes, commercial applications, airports, etc. Um, so depending on the type of uh, chemical that is used as a refrigerant, its global warming potential when compared to say one unit of uh, carbon dioxide could be 500 times to a few thousand times that of carbon dioxide. So why do we still use uh, HFCs? So these are extremely energy efficient. Uh, so, so long as we can make like safe uh, containment vessels, uh, you know, th these devices could operate at pressures even under uh, 100 PSI pounds per square inch. Um, now, let's say if we substitute that with carbon dioxide, PSI uh, or the pressure could exceed 1,000. So these are an orders of magnitude higher pressure required for the device to give the same kind of refrigeration benefit using CO2. Now, uh, introduce a PX device uh, or a pressure exchanger device that energy recovery makes, and that device can be used, as I had mentioned earlier, in either gases or fluids. So when we fit that device, um, that could significantly reduce the cost of uh, using CO2. My sense is, uh, you know, it, it could be significantly cost competitive and carry significant environmental benefits as well. So energy recovery is currently um, uh, undergoing uh, testing uh, in real world situations and uh, uh, it could become a significant value driver for shareholders over time.
are there other environmental challenges you can see being uh, met by energy recovery and their services? Yeah, so uh, we, we talked about uh, drinking water shortages, et cetera. So water quality is inherently linked to water shortages. So uh, I also uh, briefly alluded to the water intensity of making batteries, et cetera. So industrial wastewater discharge could be a significant uh, global focus. And I think um, energy recovery's uh, device, pressure exchanger device in treating uh, industrial wastewater could be another attractive market that could, that could be a meaningful um, um, value driver for shareholders over the longer run as well. Harsh, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. It's been a great conversation and always informative to speak to somebody with your expertise.